Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we connect with marathon swimmers around the world to find out how they got started, what makes them tick, and why they keep going. It's where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers, the connections that we have with each other, our support crew, and the waters we cross. If you've ever stood at the edge of a body of water and wondered what it would be like to swim to the other side, you're in good company. I'm Shannon Keegan, marathon swimmer, water relationship coach, and founder of Intrepid Water, where I virtually teach swimming freedom. Freedom to get started, shed the confines of the pool, or your preconceived notions of what's possible. Find out more at intrepidwater.com. Hello. Today, I'm excited to share with you the Marathon Swim Stories Summer Series. It's been a bit of a busy summer for me as the world's opening back up. I can't always track people down for interviews. So I thought it would be fun to do a remix of some of the questions asked of guests in season one. I hope that you'll enjoy this series. I look forward to some fresh conversations around September. Until then, I always love to hear from you. You can drop me a line anytime, shannon at intrepidwater.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Please tell your friends about the podcast, share these amazing stories, and just keep swimming. How do you handle hard situations? Usually it's like, okay, I'm not going to do whatever the next big swim is. I'm canceling the rest of the season. You know, let's just get this done. And then I'm not going to do this again. Then I have to use the guilt. But being raised Catholic and with my mother, who was the master of guilt, it's a skill set that I understand and I use effectively. (laughs) So that, that's usually how I get through. Now in life, there's been some, particularly when I was my mom's caregiver for years and I couldn't travel, I project to say myself, okay, this time will pass and then you will be in a better time. And that's how I get through. It goes back to the process bit. I tend to process everything very analytically and I think that can be helpful. Honestly, when things get hard, I swim, which is why I know that that, that's true for a lot of us. I think that swimming is our mental health, and that's why being cut off from the water is more stressful than average. You know, I do use it as a stress release mechanism. I do use it as, you know, take out some frustration. Probably done my fastest hundreds when something's gone wrong and you just, you know. Um, Yeah, so I, I, I do. I do use swimming as a coping mechanism, I think. That's fair. But I do also try to maintain a sense of scale and try not to let the little things get too too much in my brain and just keep having fun. Even when things are hard. I don't know. That's <laughs> you make it sound so easy. <laughs> I, I know, and it's not, right? Like it, it's not easy, but I mean in, in the grand scheme of things, like we gotta get we gotta get through this stuff and um I reach out to other people. I'm I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you can figure that out. Um, so 
I reach out to other people and try to power through. Uh, I take a lot of big, deep breaths and just freaking run into it. Um, yeah. So, uh, again, I think, I don't know if that's part of my nursing skills. I don't know if I learned it in nursing or I'm a nurse because of the skills, but um, we walk into a lot of situations that, you know, make you immediately have to react to something you've never expected to see that day. And you like have to put on your game face, take some deep breaths and convince people that there's absolutely like no need to panic when you're panicking completely inside. You have to just like be that calm force. So I feel pretty good about dealing with hard situations. Where I find the biggest struggle is when all the dust is settled, then I fall apart and people don't, they don't know what to do with me. So. <laughs> Here, yeah. Um, know what you mean. Uh, well, it's because you just kind of cut it out, right? And then you get yeah. to the other side and you're just like, it's such an emotional toll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if people who looked up to you during that hard time, they don't know what to do. <laughs> like, oh, no. No. <laughs> and they usually haven't seen you like that. They've only seen you a certain way. And then they, they kind of like fall apart a little bit watching you fall apart and then you have to console them or not or it's it's very it's not comfortable <laughs> so and I would say in those situations I've tried to work with my crew to explain to them like how I do fall apart and when I do and kind of how to like maybe manage me a little bit um, so to me that's part of like what I've what I've tried to do when I prep the people who are around me during a difficult challenge. Mm -hmm. And I do that at work too now. Like I've got a couple of code words that people will just say to me if I am starting to get all wound up and, you know, maybe on the edge of losing something or being a little bit too blunt with some people, <laughs> doctors. So. They need that. Oh, they, yeah. do. they do need that. <laughs> I can't. That's really what I do. I, I, I'm cursing the whole way. It's not out loud. That is my mantra. I, I'd like to say there's other mantras that I use during the swim, but when you're up against the current and it's only getting harder, I think swimming any stage of eight bridges is super hard. I think because it is... You need speed, you need endurance, you need to be mentally tough. And I'd say, you know, if you're doing multiple days of the whole thing, you gotta be able to recover and get up and do it again in a way that you swim in a lake, like, you know, until you went out of daylight, you got time. Like <laughs> you lose to the river when you swim bridges. And I think that that's, for somebody who's slow, I love that because it's not a race director or an arbitrary time or it's me versus the river. Do I get there? Do I, have I trained hard enough? You know, am I up to this? Um, I think I deal with them very differently now than when I was younger. When I was younger, I got really abusive to my poor dad on my boat and called him all the names of the day and blamed him for everything and shouted abuse at him. But the deal was once we came back out of the water, he was okay and it was just back to normal. So my way of dealing with when I was younger was to explode. Now 
I think it's about breaking things down. So even on the minch swim, my kayaker laughed at me because at halfway, Brian said, oh, you've reached halfway. And I'm like, yes, the top of the hill is downhill all the way. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, halfway is the top of the mountain. So it's all downhill. So even when in my wrong head, when you're finding things difficult as the swim goes on, you just remember you're swimming downhill. So it's easier. Um, when I did Catalina, my I've had my shoulder reconstructed and it was hurting and Tom Hecker was my kayaker and I asked him how far to go and he said you'd get there when you get there and the only way you're going to get there is one arm at a time and I'm like what are you talking about like I swam away puzzled whereas now like the minch swim when it got hard my thinking is it's almost like you're swimming one arm at a time is the only way you're going to get there but it's reeling the finish in so with every arm pull you're getting closer to the finish and then when things get really do really get hard I just swim feed to feed. So every feed is a new swim. So swim to the next feed bottle, swim to the next feed bottle. When it's not so bad, I swim to my yellow bottle and my treats. If it's bad, it's just swim um, bottle to bottle. So kind of just try and break swims down. You know, probably that same way. I mean, when I swam that channel, I quit a thousand times. And I just thought, okay, in five minutes, in five minutes, and I'll, I just kept putting it off. And so that's what made it possible. You know, you just think, just just need to get through this little bit. And somehow getting through that little bit gets you through the next little bit. So I try not to think too far ahead. But yeah, it is hard. You know, you're, I was puking my guts out for about seven hours of that swim. And I kept thinking, I don't call me. But, no, you know, and I... Paul will tell, my husband will tell, we kept thinking, well, I wonder if she's, you know, about ready to, to throw it in. And anyway, so neither one of us gave in and that's how we made it. I don't know. Not very, not very insightful, I don't think, but. Uh, breaking it up into parts, I think, is a yeah. big part of it. And, you know, and only dealing with what you can't. When I did Tahoe right. last year, it was. I was just trying to myself, like, right, like, just think about right now. Don't think about where you're going to be in an hour. Don't think about where you're going to be two hours. Oh, yeah. That's... I, like, just right now, get through this moment. It's very yeah. different from how I usually think. So it, it is insightful, I think, to know that. And to know that it can be hard and you can be puking your guts out, but that you can keep going. Another yeah. <laughs> what is swim freedom? It's the freedom to start swimming when you don't think you have the skill, ability, or time. The freedom to swim with ease. The freedom to enjoy your time in the water. The freedom to swim further than you ever thought possible. What's holding you back? Let's talk about it. Shannon at IntrepidWater.com Tell us about a swim that you're proud of. So I, I alluded this to this a little bit with your post, Shannon. I have two for this. I feel like the swim that I'm most proud of is always the swim I do after a big event. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I succeeded in that swim or failed at that swim. It's always the day or two after when I get back in the water. Mark's seen it. Chris Grafe has seen it. Like in Tahoe, Tahoe was pretty intense for me to... Um, get back in the water that day. Sorry. Um, so uh, after swim, you know, you're just so tired and you, you're starting over. 
and you're at that place where pretty much the day before you felt like a superhero and you felt like nothing could stop you. And then when you have to get back in the day after a big swim, it's just, it's kind of, you're just back right there where you're going to be the slowest, most fatigued and most probably unmotivated for me of any of my swims, wondering if that magic is still there. Wondering if you really like can pull that stroke. If you get in, if you're just going to say, this is it, I'm never doing this again. So to me, those swims are very scary and they're very emotional. And um, the fact that I'd like have to get in and do it and I do it, I'm always proud that I did those swims. So that would be, those would be my proudest swims. And if I had to pick another one on a different angle, my other proud swim was when the first year in 2018, when I brought the team of Yetis out to the 24-hour relay. Because that swim, when we all went out, we, none of us really knew anything about cold water swimming. We came together as a group. We trained. We figured it out together. We had the goal of the 24-hour relay as a group. We showed up. Everybody got in, everybody swam their rotations and without having any history behind us or any type of, um, you know, any type of thing to live up to, I feel like the group came together and they just exemplified our little group spirit that we have here um, swimming and just kind of showed the world at the 24 hour relay who we were and how we take care of each other. And, um, it's, it's not that I'm proud of my swimming that day. I was proud of the group and how we swam that as a group. So awesome. that would be one of my happiest. Stage one. <laughs> I hold the longest record for three out of the four stages I've completed so far. Um, but stage one was, so stage one, for those of you who don't know, is it's, you swim bridge to bridge down the Hudson. And some of the stages are not easy, but not ridiculous. And other ones are more towards ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But stage one, I stopped for a feed about an hour and a half or so before I finished. And I heard on the radio David Barra say, oh, I'm coming back to pull me. Uh, me and I think Mary Stella was still back, <laughs> still out there. I'm coming back to pull Janine and Mary. And... My kayaker is this girl, um, uh, Lizzie Tabor, and, and you know, like, great kayaker, really calm and patient and always smiling at you, even though it's got to be mind-numbingly boring to watch. And she got all bristly. She's like, they're not pulling you. You're making progress. And I was like, okay, and I'm just going to go back to swimming because there's nothing else you can do, right? And I swam against that current. <laughs> that was ridiculous. And the heartbreaking part is you have to get to the backside of the bridge. I've asked for this to be changed, but apparently we're not going to change that. And at the end, the current is just ridiculously hard, and it's coming around the stanchions. And I'm up against the um, bank of the river. And it's so hard and <laughs> you can't stop to feed you can't stop to look up you can't stop to see that where the bridge is and I finished by 
I, I, I bet you the last 50 yards took me 20 minutes. I like, it was super hard, but I made it. And um, so that's my, that's the one that tells me that you have a lot more than you think you do. There's probably a couple that stand out. I probably can say one um, from the early years and say Loch Ness. I did Loch Ness when I was 19. It was the first swim that I stood at the end and said I didn't want to do it. I said to my mom the night before, I'm not sure I can do this. And my mom's like, well, you could go and tell. So my dad, my mom and dad, those in the room that know me, know that they travel the world with me. They're always beside my side, by my side. My dad is always on my boat. Loch Ness, he rode the whole Loch Ness with me at the side. Um, so they were with me. And then there's another guy called Ian Reid who was at Loch Ness as well. My mom said, well, you're the one to tell Ian Reid you're not swimming. I'm not telling him. So the next morning there was a conversation and Ian just went, well, we didn't come up here for you not to even try. And someone in my head said he didn't think I could make it. So I decided that's it. I was not getting out of that swim. I was going to do Loch Ness. Um, Three miles from the end is Uckert Castle. Um, It's a big tourist ruined castle. Um, And I was suffering badly with the cold. I decided in my head that I wouldn't speak on my next feed because they would understand how cold I was because my teeth were chattering by this point. So in my head, I stupidly was like, right, I'll not speak. I'll have my feed. I'll carry on swimming and they won't pull me out. Our spare rescue boat was going away at the castle. So I knew that that was a critical point. My crew said, had a conversation. If I didn't speak, they were pulling me out because it was too cold. So the moral of this story is always be honest with your crew. So I took my feed thinking I was being smart and then carried on swimming. And then they started to go, well, is she too cold? Is she not? I'll not carry it, bore you with the rest of the story. But at the end, the last 200 metres took me 40 minutes to swim because it was that cold. So I think out of my career, Loch Ness taught me a lot. I need to be honest with my crew. I need to tell them everything and they need to understand how much I'm suffering. Um, But I also learned how to deal with your demons, how to suffer and how you can just keep on going if you believe in yourself. My mum still says to this day, that's the worst day I've come out of any swim. So from the early days, Loch Ness stands out. And then from more modern times is probably um, the Minch swim two years ago. So the Minch is, there's a north and a south. The south has been swum before with a couple of swimmers in wetsuits, but nobody's done it skins. Um, It's from one of the Western Isles to the mainland. Um, I'd done one from Pentland first to Orkney to the mainland a couple of years ago, but it's a shorter swim, but the tides are horrendous. So over the years, I've been looking at the minch, but everybody said it wasn't doable because of the temperatures and the distance and the tides. I really did it. And then there was a few of us started to look at it. So three of us set off two years ago to be the first people to swim the minch. So to give a little perspective, when I jumped in, the first thing I saw was just jellyfish. It was just this, just jellyfish everywhere. The water temperature was nine degrees centigrade. I don't know what that is, Fahrenheit. It's quite cold. Yeah. 48. Yeah. 48. So it was nine at the start. Thank you. So it was that at the start. It went up to 14 in the middle and it dropped back down to 10 at the end. Um, It was a 27-mile swim. I didn't move for the last five miles. So a lot of years ago, I learned the hard way in the English Channel is never look up and never look behind you and then you don't know where you are. And I think that, that really hit home during that swim because I got stuck in the tides to get to the finish. And the problem with the finish was 
we were wanting to be the first people to swim the North Minch and we were sitting on the boundary of the North and the South Minch. So where I had to finish was north of the lighthouse and we were sitting in line with the lighthouse. So we're fitting, fighting the tide. So I took five and a half hours to swim the last mile and a half because of the tides. Everybody else on the boat were like, what's going to happen? How is she keeping on going? I was oblivious. I didn't even know that I was that close because I never looked up. So I always just looked to the side, take my feet from a kayaker, speak to the boat if I need to and carry on swimming. So I was oblivious. Everybody else was suffering more than I was suffering. Um, but that was the reason why, because I don't look up. My kayaker thought he'd never been with a swimmer before. Um, he's now a really good friend. He stayed, he paddled the whole 18, I think it was 1846, so 18, nearly 19 hours Brian was with me. And he was getting really worried at feeds because I was swimming backwards. I was swimming the wrong direction. But the wind was catching his boat. So he thought I was looking up, but I was just looking at him, taking my feeds and then swimming off in the direction his boat was in. So I ended up swimming behind and stuff as well. But that swim, yeah, it was an interesting one. Jellyfish right the way through, cold, windy, wavy. But yeah, it's definitely my favourite swim. And I would go back tomorrow if I was asked. Wow. North Channel's probably similar as well. And yeah, I would go back tomorrow if I got an opportunity. There's just something magical about those longer, tougher swims, especially the ones that you're first, because nobody knows whether it's doable or not. One of the guys I swam with that day got lost by his crew. I don't really know why, how. And we ended up having to get the Coast Guard because it was pitch black and we lost him. And that kind of made that swim harder. I'd finished by that point, but at the end for recovery and stuff it was a bit strange but Colin went back and swam it last year with a wetsuit but he said it was easier because they knew it was done so I think the longer tougher swims or the ones that people haven't done before there's something that appeals to me about them my Catalina swim last year I mean it, it was slow it was ugly but um <laughs> I finished it. I was I was not rested. I'd been really sick um the, the two weeks prior leading up to it. I was only probably at about 70, 80 percent going into it. And I'd already like a lot of times there were several times that they wanted to pull me out and I'd mm-hmm. already told them I was like, I'm not the only way I'm coming out is if you have to fish me out. <laughs> um but uh it got really challenging at times. I had a head current the whole way. Um it was uh, just, I mean, there were a lot of points that I, I wanted to stop and um, just kept going. So, How did you keep going? <laughs> um, well, my kayaker, we, <laughs> she was uh, very, very calm. And like, she's like, I know this is frustrating. And I'm like, frustrating. It's like identifying my emotions. Let's like, let's accept it. And so, you know, after I kind of like acknowledged my feelings, I was able to, I did like the fastest, like three miles of the swim. And it also helped that the current was changing, but um, just uh, helped me kind of push through it. So identifying your feelings is that <laughs> or, or the kayaker or both <laughs> because my um, companion swimmer, she was like, I, I guess it was about 11 miles. And uh, Dan was like, you want the good news or the bad news? And I was like, <laughs> was that a freighter or land? And he says, that's a freighter. (laughs) And he's like, and you've been swimming into a current all night. And I was like, okay. He goes, but you're more than halfway. And I'm like, well, I can't be more than that much of halfway because I still see boats. That means I'm in the shipping lane. I should be seeing land four to five miles out. And I just put my head back down on the water and I was like, oh, 
And then, like, I looked back up, and Amber got in the water to come swim with me, and um, she got out, and she's like, she's just rage swimming right now. So, <laughs> like, it's only, you know, I, I guess I punched the water for, like, maybe six miles, and then finally got it together and took it on in, but it was, that was a rough swim. So. <laughs> but you got through. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> um. I mean, in some ways, that one, because it was, um, you know, it was really so self-organized from, 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 but I think that, you know, anytime you go back after DNF, so having a, um, having attempted the two-way in 2007 to go back in, in uh, 2008 and go and be really, really close, you know, if I, I have asthma, so you know, after 2007 and kind of getting that whole, probably what was later described as sipes and, and like pulmonary induced asthma, um, edema, you know, I think that it was in, in that first swim that I realized, geez, you know, we're not invincible. Things can happen. And, and like, it gave me a whole different respect. And not that I had done a lot of swims at that point. I've done a, done a, a one way of, of, of the channel I had um, done the um, cat had done Catalina. So that was my, really my third big swim. And um, I, I don't know that I realized that things could go terribly wrong. And, you know, and I didn't realize it until I was on the boat. So to go back in 2008, even though that was, you know, I was fairly close to Dover to land um, and I coughed and my, you know, my sister said, you're out um, because they were not going to, you know, have to see me go through that. Have to, they didn't want to see me go through it and they didn't want to see it again. Um, so, I mean, and I was really proud of that swim. I mean, it was a swim that was, you know, that started out with, I think, 15 boats and only three of us ended up landing in England. So that was, that was, a, you know, a fun swim. I mean, I don't really notice that it's really crappy conditions. I just, um, you know, so it was a fun swim. I know everybody would expect a double crossing completion is, is my most, I, I, um, I like swimming joyfully. And I would say that my actual double crossing was not the one that was completed was not my most joyful swim. Oh man, there's a couple, um, and they're probably not what you think. Um, so let's see here. The first one that really kind of comes to mind, um, last summer, um, in August, I, um, came out to a lake here in Colorado, just, you know, a couple hours from my house. Um, the, it's Blue Mesa Reservoir. It's the largest body of water in the state of Colorado at 16 miles long. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I had attempted to do a double of it, so a 32-mile swim. Um, we had all kinds of, like, boat issues, weather issues. I got a little sick. Um, so I made it one way, but, like, definitely not any type of an official swim. I was, like, hanging on the boat, you know, begging for cookies and um, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I that swim in that lake had always kind of been in the back of my mind, like, hey, I really want to go and double Blue Mesa. Um, the lake's at like, um, I think 8,000 feet maybe. So it's pretty high. Um, weather can be um, really tricky. Um, there tends to be like afternoon storms and like 
crazy nut, like crazy, like just high intensity wind. Um, so, and it is usually pretty cold. Um, when I had done it the first time, the water was like maybe low sixties. Um, so it just for years it had been on my mind. I want to go back and do Blue Mesa, um, but it just never quite works. It's just far enough. You can't really drive there for the day. And so I got it in my brain last summer and I was kind of struggling with my training leading up to the English channel. Um, you know, just from my breast cancer surgeries and stuff, my shoulders just, you know, just stuff was hurting, you know, and I needed some confidence, you know, I, my training in the pool was slow, you know, I just, I needed confidence. And so, and I needed to change the scenery, right? I swim at the same places all the time, just circles, like two mile loops at the most, you know? Um, and I was like, I need, I need to change the scenery. So last minute, um, I talked to my husband and my friend Craig into going out to Blue Mesa with me. We took our little like 13 foot aluminum boat, um, got a hotel room. You know, we got there late on a Friday night, started swimming at like 4.30 on Saturday morning. So not a ton of sleep. Ryan, my husband, couldn't get the boat on the water until the sun came up. So it was just me and Craig in a kayak in this lake, you know, and he's got his headlight on or his headlamp on and glow skips on the kayak and you know, like he can't see anything as pitch black. It was overcast, you know, like couldn't see a dang thing. And we just swam, you know, Ryan met us at like 830 in the morning. And my only goal for that swim was to hold a pace. And I just, I wanted to see if I could hold a two mile an hour pace for 32 miles. Like that is something I've been able to do in the past. Um, I knew it was going to hurt. I didn't know, you know, I just, I didn't know. And, you know, I did, it hurt, you know, I, I made the churn like right on schedule um, and then on, you know, not too far in, we hit some headwind and my arm just started to just throb and fall apart. And I was like, you know, I'm like barely six hours into the swim and my arm is hurting me. Um, and I needed to know if I could push it, you know, like I knew it was going to hurt in the channel and I needed to know like what's going to happen if I push this arm to maximum capacity. Um, so I did, you know, I took some Advil and romped on it you know and I did I held two miles an hour for 32 miles you know it took me right at 16 hours um we hit some like crazy wind and turbulence on the way back and I did it you know and the next day I was fine you know like my arm is sore but it was fine and I just you know it was just like this low-key swim like my friend and my husband and like this little tiny boat um I held a pace, you know, like I persevered through the, you know, the elements and accomplished what I needed to do. And it really gave me this like huge boost, like, okay, whatever happens in the channel, like I'm going to be fine. You know, like I don't need to swim two miles an hour in the channel. Like we're going to get there. So um, I'm really proud of that swim, you know, just like for this last minute, pull it off 32 mile training swim. But, you know, it was huge for me. Thank you to Mark Spratt, Cindy Warhane, Janine Sorrell, Colleen Blair, Elizabeth Almond, Kelly Latimer, Molly Nance, Liz Fry, and Sarah Thomas for sharing your thoughts and introspections on Marathon Swim Stories. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you were inspired by even just a moment of this story, please share it with a friend. You never know what might push someone out of their comfort zone. 
so that they can find out what they're capable of. And please leave a review with your podcast provider. It truly helps others discover the raw and honest stories of these amazing endurance swimmers. Thanks for listening.